be opening your Bibles to Luke 15, and in a moment we'll read the greatest story ever together. Three years ago, Tiffany DeVaro sent this story into Reader's Digest. She had two young daughters, and they were making a plane trip together, and the girls were not happy. They weren't happy with their mother. They weren't happy with each other. They weren't happy about being on that plane, and they were letting everyone around them know that they were not happy. Now, we've all been on planes with fussy kids. Now, at the start of the flight, you know that the steward comes out, and he or she begins to explain all the things that we need to know in case of emergency, that if there's a loss of cabin pressure, these masks will come down and put it on your face first and then help your children. And while the steward is trying to explain all this important information, these two girls are just making a ton of noise, and you could tell he was disturbed. And so when he gets to that particular part, he pauses. She says he looks right at her and says, if you have more than one child, choose the one you like best and help them first. (laughs) The greatest story ever, asked the listener, which son the father liked best. See, the great thing about Jesus as a storyteller is that his characters are so interesting. You can't just peg them quickly. You have to read the whole story to figure out if you like them or not. You start this story and right off the bat, you don't like that younger boy. But toward the end, maybe he's not so bad. And at the start, you like that older boy. But toward the end, maybe he's not so good. And yet wonder as a parent, which one of those boys would you rather have? An immoral but humbled son or a very moral but judgmental one. Which one was good? Which one was bad? Or were they both just ugly? You see, if you think you know which son the father liked best, you still haven't heard the story through the eyes of a dad. So let's read it one more time. We're going to read the whole story Listen to this story through the eyes of a father. Jesus continued, There was a man who had two sons. See, I don't know where we got the idea this is the parable of the prodigal son. Jesus said at the start, this is a story about a father and sons. Now the younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, set off for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth in wild living. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country, who sent him to his fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating. But no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired men have food to spare? Here I am starving to death. I will sit out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired men. So he got up and went to his father. 
But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ringer on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fatted calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. Meanwhile, the older son was in the field. When he came near the house, he heard music and choreography. I'm reading from the Church of Christ version. So he called one of the servants and asked him what was going on. Your brother has come, he replied. And your father has killed the fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. The older brother became angry and refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. Yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when the son of yours who has squandered your property with prostitutes comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him. My son, the father said, you are always with me and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad. Because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. Now, I want to start right at the beginning with something I just think a lot of us assume that is revolutionary about this story. Jesus is intentionally making God the Father figure. You say, well, what's revolutionary about that? Everybody knows God is the Father, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Everybody knows that. Well, no, not everybody knew that then. That was totally revolutionary. Did you know that God is only referred to as Father 14 times in the Old Testament? And almost all of those is He is the Father of Israel. He birthed the nation into existence. You get to the New Testament and over 250 times God is called our Father. Now, who changed that view of God? One word, Jesus. Jesus totally changed the view of God. The very first recorded words of Jesus. His parents are looking for him. They're anxious. They find him in the temple. Where have you been? It's been hard to find you. He basically says, duh. Why didn't you start in my father's house? The last words of Jesus before he died. Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. By the way, Jesus always used the word father when he prayed. Always. In fact, sometimes he would even pray Abba, Father. Now, to help you understand how revolutionary that was, do you remember when your babies were learning to talk? They would repeat syllables for their first words. And so it was Dada or Mama, or maybe their bottle was Baba. A little Hebrew baby would look at his daddy, and the Hebrew word for father is Av. That's why Avraham is the father of nations. And that little Hebrew baby would look at his daddy, and he would go, Ava, Ava. And Jesus would use that word when he prayed to God. Nobody had ever talked about God like this. 
It was revolutionary to the hearers of his day. Difficult for them to grasp. And it's probably difficult for some of you. In fact, let's just deal with the problem right now. For many of you in this room, it's difficult to imagine God as Father. Because your father wasn't someone you ever were close to. Maybe your father was absent in your life. Maybe your father was a distant or a harsh man. Maybe even today you don't have much of a relationship with your father. Here's the dilemma Jesus faced. He's looking for a way to talk about God. It's got to transcend all time. It's got to transcend every culture. What metaphor is going to be good enough? No human word is going to be adequate to describe God. But the best metaphor he could find to transcend all time and to transcend every culture, to communicate why he hangs out with sinners, is to find the word to try to explain the pain, the universal pain every parent feels when it comes to their children. Those of you that are teens and those of you who are singles can't appreciate what I'm about to say. And I don't say this in a condescending way. You're just going to have to take my word for it. You can't understand this. Most parents love their kids so much it hurts. The day that we adopted our first child, you know our first two were adopted. We went to this room. And and there was Michael. He was in the arms of his foster mother. She gave her to Jamie, and then Jamie, after a few moments, gave him to me. And I held this little boy. I'd just seen him for seconds. There was a physical sensation, like getting punched in the gut, that overwhelmed me. You see, anybody else in my life I had ever loved, it took time to love. My parents, my wife, even God, you learn to love over time. And here was this little person, and I had only known them for seconds, and I would have died for them. Nobody is prepared for the joy of parenting. And nobody is prepared for the pain. And if you're a father and your child is lost, you have one agenda. And so Jesus is trying to explain why he spends so much time with sinners. And he says, because their father's heart is going to stay broken until all of his kids are back at his table. And so he tells the greatest story ever. It's not about a father and a lost son. It's about a father and sons. Because when you read the story the way Jesus meant it, to be read, you realize the father didn't have one lost boy. He had two. And these two boys had a whole lot more in common than you might think with a surface reading. Let me show you what I mean. First, notice that both boys resented their father's 
authority. I don't know how I came across this a few months ago, but I saw an article that said the three most popular funeral songs in Britain are number two and three are ACDC's Highway to Hell and Queen's Another One Bites the Dust. But you know what the number one song for a funeral in Britain is, and it's even more ungodly than those two. It's Frank Sinatra's My Way. But through it all, I stood tall. I did it my way. It is the humanist anthem. I'm the captain of my fate. I'm the master of my soul. I'm running my own life. It is a song that man has been singing since the garden when our very first father passed on a rebellious bent to the rest of his kids. Now, it's easy to see the rebel spirit in that younger boy. Just like a wayward sheep, he walks up to his dad and says, I don't need you to shepherd my life anymore. That boy, folks, is not just getting away from the farm. He's getting away from his father. He didn't accidentally stumble into a far country. He went there on purpose because he's looking for a place where his dad carries no weight and has no influence, where he can do whatever he wants to do, and there's no dad around to give him instruction. That's why the dad let him go. Because that boy had already left home in his heart. But you know what? The rebel spirit roared just as loud in the heart of that older boy. It was just more discreet. His refusal to come to that party that his father was throwing in their culture was just as much a disgrace as anything that younger boy had done. Because he was publicly saying to that whole village, I have cast my vote of no confidence in my father's judgment. He's got no clue how to run this family anymore. That father comes out to that boy and he basically says, Dad, how dare you make decisions like this without consulting with me first? And he showed by his temper, he had no more respect for his father than his brother had displayed. You see, both boys are trying to get out from under their dad. They just chose different ways to do it. They both resented their father's authority. You know why? Because both boys wanted their father's things more than their father. Both sons thought their father's wealth was the real goal. What they really wanted, both boys, was to throw a party and invite all their friends. And apparently, neither boy had dad on the guest list. Neither son said, my father's happiness is my number one agenda. See, this is what motivated the younger boy's disobedience. He believed the lie that if I just had things, I would be happy. And the things I want, I can't get unless I get away from my dad. So I'm going to go somewhere where I can buy it, I can drink it, I can smoke it, I can do it. And dad's not around to stop me because things are what's going to make me. I will be more happy with things than I will be with the company of my father. 
And so the belief that things make you happy motivated his disobedience. But here's the irony. It's the same thing that motivated the older boy's obedience. He served his father for what he hoped he could get out of it. He wanted the father's things more than the father. I think a lot of people serve God the same way. Goodness is a weapon, a way of gaining control. God, I have kept the rules. I went to church. I did the Bible studies. I volunteered. I gave my tithe. Now, I deserve an easy life, and I deserve answered prayers, and I want a ticket to heaven. And I'll tell you how you recognize the older brother's spirit. When life gets hard and their prayers aren't answered the way they want, they get mad at God and they get mad at the church because what they really want more than time with their father is the father's blessings. They want the father's hand more than his face. Tim Keller tells this story about this gardener that grew this impressive carrot the biggest he'd ever grown and he went the next day to this palace and he said to his king king i grow carrots that's what i do this is the best carrot i ever have or ever will grow and i want you to have it as a token of my esteem and respect and the king was delighted as the gardener was walking out of the courtroom the king said you know what i own a plot of land Next to yours. And you are a good steward of the earth. I want to give my land to you. So that you can grow more things. And the gardener went home rejoicing. But there was a nobleman in the court. Who thought to himself. If that's what the king will do for a carrot. What will he do for something nicer? And so the next day he came to the king. And he said king I breed horses. And this stallion is the best I have ever bred. And I'm giving it to you. And the king said, thank you very much. And the nobleman was perplexed. And the king could tell and discerned his heart. And before he left, he said, let me explain. The gardener was giving me the carrot. But you were giving the horse to yourself. Neither boy thought a relationship with dad was enough. And that's because they both misunderstood the kind of relationship their father wanted. The third thing they had in common is that both boys saw their relationship as something to earn. That younger one said, make me like one of your hired men. You see, he figured, you know what? The only way you can be at the father's table is to earn it. I blew it. I messed up. I don't deserve to sit at dad's table anymore. So dad, just throw me out in the barn and let me work. And I am willing to do whatever it takes to try to earn my way back into your good graces. But the father wouldn't hear it. He said, son, you didn't earn your way to the table in the first place. Nothing you did got you there. Nothing you can do will get you away. But that younger boy was not the only one trying to pay off his debt. Did you hear what the older boy said? When the father came out to him. All these years 
I've been slaving for you. Slaving. It wasn't love that had him out in that field. It wasn't devotion. It was duty. He saw himself more like a hireling than a son. And consequently, he felt like his toil had obligated his father. You owe it to me to do things the way I want and to at least ask my opinion before you make decisions because I have been out here slaving for you. How do you think that made the father feel? Does any dad want his kids to see him primarily as a taskmaster? You see, just like the demerits didn't cost that young son his sonship, so merit didn't earn that older boy his status. That older boy was trying to make himself a slave for something that was already his. I've been slaving all these years and I never got a party. And the father says, well, why not? Everything I've got's yours. He never asked for a party because he didn't see himself as the beloved son. And he didn't see his father as his friend. And how does it make a father feel when your boys talk to you like you're an employer with a labor shortage? You see, both boys broke their father's heart. His father had two sons. He had a son too bad to be true, and he had a son too good to be bearable. Both of his sons chose to put distance in the relationship. Both of them, in their own way, found out how to keep dad at arm's length. And in their own way, both of those boys were dead to their father. And to the life he had wanted them to have ever since he held them as babies. See, this is the risk of parenting. The Bible says in Proverbs 17, it's painful to be the parent of a fool. There's no joy for the father of a rebel. Can I just stop for a second and just say that for some of you this is no longer just a sermon. This is your story. You know, we like to say things like, well, just raise up children the way they're supposed to go and they won't depart from it. That's a nice principle. That's not always how life works. You think this dad wasn't the perfect father? You think those boys weren't raised the way they should go? 
You see, this story is my story. I'm the father of a rebel. For some years now, our oldest son has turned his back on me and God. So I can't read this story analytically. I can't just study Greek syntax and write a sermon. This is my story. There's no joy for the father of a rebel. The pain is there always. That doesn't mean you can't enjoy life and find blessings to be thankful for every day. What it means is every time your mind wanders, you'll wander to your son. Every time you wake up in the middle of the night, the first thing you think of, where's my son? I wouldn't want anyone to know what that feels like. But I have a better understanding now of how God feels. Of what Jesus was trying to say when he explained. And even when he rebuked a world full of religious people. Who get so caught up in how many rules they've kept. And don't lose a minute's sleep. Over all of God's lost kids. God's heart is breaking. For his lost kids. Let me tell you something. If you are afraid of pain. Then don't get married. And above all. Don't have kids. There is no such thing. As risk free love. When God made this world and when he put his kids on it, he knew the risk was great. They would break his heart. And they have. It's the reason there was a cross. It's the reason the father went out to both boys. You see, both boys could do nothing to stop their father from loving them. Nothing. My friend Mike Cope and his wife Diane had three children, two precious boys, and in the middle was a girl named Megan. Megan was born with very severe mental and physical handicaps. A precious child, but a difficult child all the years that she lived. Mike was out with their oldest boy in the backyard one time giving Diane some relief from the constant care around the clock that Megan had to have. And Megan was in the backyard. Mike was playing catch with his oldest son. He stopped and looked for a second, and there was Megan. And she was on the patio with her face in the dish eating the messy dog food they had left out for their puppy. So we went over there to get her, and there she is. Her face is covered in dog food and dog food breath. And as he's about to pick her up to clean her up, she does her hands like this and she goes. (laughs) Now, who on earth would kiss that face? A daddy would. You know my favorite definition of a father? He's a man who carries photographs 
where his money used to be. And that never changes. And so both boys lived life saying, I want this. And the dad said both times, but I want you. You see, the young boy changes in this story. We hope the old boy changes. We're left not knowing. But the one person in the story that never changes is the dad. Because their sonship had nothing to do with their merits or their demerits. He is eager to be reconciled. By the way, just as much to that older boy as to that younger boy. Please don't miss that. Jesus was not a Pharisee to Pharisees. God loves all of his children. He's a both-and God. He loves his lost kids in the pig pen. He loves his lost kids in the pew. Paul says in Romans 8, I'm absolutely convinced nothing, nothing, living or dead, angelic or demonic, today or tomorrow, high or low, thinkable or unthinkable, absolutely nothing can get between us and God's love. Stop just a second. Look at that word, us. Put your name there. Can you do that? That absolutely nothing can come between you and God's love. I believe ultimately the Bible's story of a God who ever since Genesis chapter 3 has been asking one question. Where are you? Where are my kids? He came in person in Jesus to find us and bring us back to His table. Because God wants a relationship with you. But the bigger question this morning is what kind of relationship do you want with God? Because this story says you can live right under the Father and still be lost. Some people avoid God by being very, very bad. And some people avoid God by being very, very good. God doesn't want the dutiful Service of slaves. He wants the willing, joyful affection of sons. And it's hard to see God that way. Especially if you never had a good relationship with your earthly father. And so God sent us some help. In the person of the Holy Spirit. And God sent us the Holy Spirit to do a number of things. To give us gifts to serve the body. To help make our character more Christ-like. But I think perhaps the most important reason why we need the Holy Spirit. Is just to help us combat the satanic lie. That God is a taskmaster. And our job is to keep Him from being mad at us. God's Father.
And the Bible says in Galatians chapter 4, because your sons, God sent the Spirit of His Son into our hearts. The Spirit who calls out, Abba, Father. So you're no longer slaves, but a son. Booker T. Washington tells this great story. He grew up under the time of slavery. He lived on a plantation. His family lived in a sod shanty. Every morning while it was still very dark, a rooster would crow. That would be their signal. It was time to get up to go spend another long back-breaking day out in the cotton field. That rooster crow became the symbol of their slavery. But then Abraham Lincoln freed the slaves. The Emancipation Proclamation was signed. And the word came to the farm, they were now free. Young Booker went to bed that night. The next morning he was awakened by the sound of that rooster. But this was a different sound. He looked outside and there was his mama with an axe. She was chasing that rooster. And that day for lunch, they had fried reminder that they were no longer slaves. And this is the work of the Holy Spirit of God. To remind you every morning, first thing when you awake, you are not a slave. You didn't earn your way to God's table. There's nothing you did did that got you there there's nothing you can do to get you away you are this child of God and you know what your father would like to hear from you so why don't you bow your heads for just a moment I want you to just take a moment I want you to just try to imagine your Father in heaven. Not the judge of the universe, not the creator of the world, but your Father. And He's at the table, and there's an empty chair, and He's motioning. He's, he's saying, come. Come here and sit next to me. And I want you to ask the Holy Spirit to help you to talk to God like your Abba, Father. Do that right now, please. Let's all finish the prayer together. Thank you, oh my Father, for giving us your Son and leading.
standing, please? We're going to sing that song together. And as we sing it, I'd invite you to come this morning. If you have never proclaimed Jesus Christ, I'd invite you to be baptized into Jesus. I'd invite you to come and claim your place at the table of God while we continue to worship.